0: This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your On Target host, Linda Swain.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Back from vacation and feeling, I don't know, energized. You'll have to forgive me for just a moment. And Dave, you can sing along if you want. But uh, bear with me for just a moment. Come all you good people, I'll sing you a song about a poor people, how they get along. They fish in the spring, finish up in the fall, and when it's all over, they have nothing at all. And it's hard, hard times. Well, I was in the grocery store the other day and caught myself singing that old refrain to hard, hard times as I scanned the prices on the shelves. Items that used to be quite affordable now are so ridiculously priced that they're virtually out of reach. And I'm the one in the aisle muttering to myself, and I'm sure a lot of people are doing the same, saying, "'What? That's ridiculous.'" Well, that'll be sitting there for a nice long while yet before I pick that up. Well, we live in a place that is well removed from major markets, meaning that a lot of food we eat has been sitting in a truck for days, sometimes more than a week before it gets here. And and the cost is reflected, of course, in the prices, not to mention global events that are putting added strain and on supply and demand, throwing things even more out of kilter. Well, food security is affecting just about Everyone these days and unless you're one of those who has the time the resources and the knowledge to grow your own food then you are feeling the pinch but we are blessed in many ways. Newfoundland and Labrador has a rich natural environment, and one of the ways Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have traditionally sustained themselves is through hunting and fishing. Show of hands, how many of you have some moose or partridge or tur or fish in your deep freeze right now? Dave, you got some. I got some. Uh, a lot of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians do as well, and we're we're good like that. Um, moose tags going out uh, over the last week or so, and anybody who gets a moose. They always got their list of people. Nan, you want some moose? Uh, Aunt Joan, you want some moose? Uncle Bill, you want some moose? Uh, Neighbor, friends, here, I got some moose for you. That sort of thing. But up until relatively recently, we weren't able to donate some of this uh, protein to um, food banks. Well, my guests today are with Sharing the Harvest. They include co-founding director Barry Fordham. Hello, Barry.
0: Hello Linda, thank you for having me
1: No trouble, and Taylor Reed is a youth and charity designated hunter Hello Taylor Hello Linda, how are you today? Great, so uh, Barry I'm going to start with you Where did this whole idea of sharing the harvest come from?
0: Well, quite a long time ago, Linda. In fact, it was around 2008. Uh, I was always aware of a program called Hunters Helping or Feeding the Hungry down in the States, and I seen another uh, article in around 2008 in Nova Scotia that they had start. They were starting up a program similar to it, and uh, I said to my daughter then, Chloe Fordham. Why don't we try to start something? So we started the process, and uh, unfortunately it took 12 years later to, uh, for the government to finally recognize the validity and importance uh, of this program. So they uh, they started to pilot project. In 2019 and 2020, uh, we, uh, our other conservation group, Newfoundland Outdoor Heritage Coalition, uh, secured a uh, moose tag through the not-for-profit license. Uh, we harvested it and uh, we paid for it out of our own money at the conservation group and donated the whole moose to kickstart, jumpstart, the, the sharing the harvest program with uh, the province.
1: So what up until now was preventing hunters and anglers from donating food to food banks?
0: Well, the two biggest issues were liability and legality. And liability uh, was, wasn't such a big deal because as we uh, uncovered through research, uh, it's under the Good Samaritans Act. Well, here in Newfoundland, Labrador, it's called the um, Donated Food Act of 1997. It states that nobody can be charged for donating, and there's a the key word, donating or giving away any type of food to somebody else if they get sick. And that, that once that came out, the then end was legality, and the legality was that it's illegal for the meat to ha- change hands three times. In other words, I can give it to you, but you can't give it to anybody else. Once the uh, once the liability and then the legality uh, changed, store was wide open for donations, and uh, so you know, each year is getting more donations and more donations, and uh, we'd like to expand, and we already have expanded to uh, donating capelin, blueberries, and uh, we're getting ready for the moose season again.
1: So how long has Sharing the Harvest been donating to local food banks?
0: Uh, say say again?
1: How long has it been uh, donating to local food banks?
0: Okay, thank you. Yes, uh, we, since 2020. Uh, the government instituted a, in 2019, instituted a pilot program under their uh, office. And then in 2020, they gave us the green light. So we formed Sharing the Harvest, NL. And uh, then from there, then we were off to the running the gates. Um yeah, so, and now we've been around for a couple of years and we're getting more and more donations and from more and more people. And uh, as well, you know, it, it does not necessarily have to come to us either. There are many donations that are going on through private individuals as well. In fact, we've been, we were working together with the Newfoundland Labrador Outfitters Association uh, for a couple of years trying to get things ironed out before it became law. And once it did, they started making donations and they also, uh, very important note, they donated four deep freezers to four different food banks here in the province.
1: Right, because that's essential.
0: Absolutely.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about this and bring Taylor into the conversation when we come back Mm -hmm. after the break. My guests today on On Target are co-founding director of Sharing the Harvest, Barry Fordham, and a youth and charity designated hunter, and we'll find out what that is, Taylor Reed coming up right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. My guests today are with Sharing the Harvest. They include co-founding director of sharing the harvest, Barry Fordham and Taylor Reed, a youth and charity designated hunter. So, Taylor, what is a youth and charity designated hunter?
2: Hi, Linda. Uh, basically, I I guess I'm not a youth anymore because I turned 18 this year. But up until then, I always participated in any youth activities and youth hunts that came my way. So. Um, Last fall, I actually had the privilege of getting a nonprofit uh, moose license. Basically, I harvested a moose for uh, a charity and uh, did all the blood and guts that had to do with the moose, and then give it to the charity for them to uh, sell for profit or uh, use it for like fundraisers. And how long have you been hunting? Uh, I've been in the woods since I could walk, so uh, whatever I was allowed to do when I started. So I had my first moose when I was 16, but I was uh, hunting bunny rabbits and stuff when I was uh, just very, very tiny. (laughs) So how did you get into it? Obviously, if you've been at it since uh, you were a small child, you were with somebody. My father, actually. So um, my dad started taking me in the woods with him when I was about two years old, so I couldn't even really walk at that point and uh, I got hooked on it. I loved going in with him and setting traps and trouting and checking snares and all that fun stuff. So uh, every time he used to go in, I used to bug him to let me go with him, and he started taking me, and uh, I was always with him, so I guess I kind of grew into it. Setting snares. You must be out in Central. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. I'm actually in Chapel Arm. Oh, very good. Right, because um, uh, on the Avalon, we tend to take dogs out, don't we? Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, you've always enjoyed it. Um and so when you had this opportunity then to get this non-profit moose license, how did that come about?
2: I had um I had heard a lot about it and my dad had done it before, had license or whatever and uh for charity. So, um I had my first moose when I was 16. I had a 4-point bull and that was personal license and I really enjoyed the hunt with that however it's unfortunate because you can't get a moose license every year so I would have had to wait another couple more years until I could get another moose so my father brought up the idea about the charity license to me so we applied for that and I ended up getting it so I was lucky enough to get a bull that I uh I harvested for non-profit fantastic were you nervous doing it no, I don't. I can't say I get nervous. Actually, it's more of an adrenaline rush, if anything.
1: And uh, so, is it a lot of going? Do you have to do a lot of preparation?
2: A hundred percent. You have to go in and make sure you have everything that you're gonna need, everything and more, actually, because you always have to plan for the unexpected. So it's uh, it's an evening of packing up stuff before you go, getting in there, walking, setting up. And then once you actually pull the trigger and you harvest the animal, that's when the hard part starts trying to gut it, get it into the trailer or truck and get it out to where you're going with it. So it's, uh, it's not as simple as just pulling the trigger and saying, I got to move. Do you still go in with dad or do you bring friends along? How does that work?
1: No, it's a still me and dad kind of thing. Right on. So a real uh, family event. It is. It's a father-daughter trip, we say. <laughs> so um, who do you donate your moose to when you got that moose,
2: uh, non-profit
1: moose license? Where, where did that go?
2: It was actually a uh, group in the community of Chapel Iron.
1: And that got distributed uh,
2: among people who wanted or needed it? Yes, I believe they actually used it for one of their fundraiser events. So they had it there. They made moose burgers and moose sausages and stuff out of it like that and i believe it was there for people to purchase or they just had it there for food at the event do you have many friends your age who uh, get out
1: in the woods and go hunting like yourself or do most of your friends say "Mm, why are you doing that for
2: i don't have many friends that do it i have a couple fellas that i know that do it but uh, it's even more slim for females like myself I would
1: imagine. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but you you love it, obviously. And uh, and were there any restrictions to you getting a license? Uh, I know that there were some difficulties in, in previous years, and maybe Barry can uh, speak to this, but did you
2: have any difficulties getting a license? I personally didn't have any difficulties. My only difficulty is I had to wait till I was 16 to get it. <laughs>
1: right. And Barry, you did a lot of work in that regard.
0: Yes, uh, thank you, Linda, and well said there, Taylor. Uh, yes, uh, we uh, two different conservation groups were uh, instrumental—not totally instrumental, but instrumental in getting the hunting age reduced. We had the uh, highest hunting age in all North America uh, not so long ago, but we got it reduced to twelve for small game, sixteen for big game, with adult supervision, of course. And that opened up the, the gates to a lot of youth hunters, then because uh, not take up too much time. But if the youth wasn't introduced to hunting early, then they, you know, got involved with other activities, and then based on those other activities, then they may not want to get introduced to hunting. So a lot of times, it was too late.
1: Right? It, yeah, because as you say, now once you get your established, um, I guess, interests, it's it's hard to start when you're in your 40s or 50s.
0: Yes, that's right, and that's why I started my daughter when she was five and my son was when he was three, uh, grouse hunting only. And, uh, you know, if my my daughter doesn't hunt anymore, and that's fine, but uh, my son does. And the most important thing is that I introduce them to the activities to give them the choice whether they want to participate later in life or not.
1: And as a parent, is it important to teach um, young people those kinds of skills? Barry?
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So I it was terrible. Uh, absolutely, it is. Absolutely, because uh, you know these these skills and and traditions and and everything else is passed down from uh, my dad to from his dad to my dad to m- me to my son to his son and so on and so forth. So you know it's important skills and and everything to you know be aware of, learn and you know just to to participate in.
1: Taylor, how, was, how important was it for you to have that special time with your dad, to, for him to, to teach you and pass down these kinds of skills? Oh my God,
2: so important. And throughout those experiences, whether it was moose hunting or something as simple as grouse hunting, there was so much information, life skills and knowledge that was passed down through just walking through the woods with dad, whether it was skills that had to do with hunting or just walking down the bog in the silence and asking dad a question about life kind of thing. And now I have those skills that I have the privilege to come on to radio shows like this and other shows and spread my knowledge with other people who probably don't know as much as me or maybe even know more and can tell me things that I didn't know. And you have the memories. Yes, the memories and the pictures and the video of me harvesting my first moose, all those things are uh, very, very special.
1: And a special bond, too, with your dad. I mean, for years now, uh, from now, you'll be able to look at him and say, remember that time? And your father will go, oh, my God, that was something else, wasn't it? You know, And, and you'll have always have that, you and he. Yeah, it's a very, very special thing. And
2: I'm very grateful that me and my father have the bond that we do.
1: My guests today uh, on On Target are with Sharing the Harvest, co-founding director Barry Fordham, and Taylor Reed, a youth and charity designated hunter. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. My guests today are with Sharing the Harvest. They include co-founding director Barry Fordham and Taylor Reed, a youth and charity designated hunter. And uh, Barry, tags uh, went out in the mail in the last little while. So now is a good time for hunters to think about the possibility of making a donation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we find that with any new kind of program, word is slow to get around. And uh, we're hoping today that uh, with, your, uh, with your platform, and thank you very much for the opportunity, that it uh, created a more broader understanding, more broader publicity about our group. And, uh, yes, the move tags just went out and the best time to think about making a donation uh, is when you get the actual harvest moose and when you get it home from the butcher shop. You look at it all and you you look at what you're going to give away and see what you have left, and if there's going to be any left over in the springtime, that would be the time then to donate the meat in the uh, the fall time to the food banks. Um, Just a couple of words about our group a little more there, Linda. Um, We we financially struggled the past couple of years, but this year we have obtained financial uh, grants that we give us now the opportunity, sharing the harvest and give us the opportunity to pay for the cost of the butchering of any donated meats to our program. So hunters have a a choice, whether they want to donate themselves. And if they do, then they assume the cost themselves or donate it through us sharing the harvest, registered through us, and we will pay the cost of the butchering and even possibly the cost of transportation. So
1: you'll take a a quarter or, or a carcass?
0: We'll take anything. And, but it's got to go to a government food processor, like a butcher, say, holidays so here in St. John's, for example. And, and it's gotten packaged. Right. And we, yeah, and we pay for the cost of it. and get. Now, it's very important that some hunters say, well, I don't want to get, donate meat to your program and have it go to St. John's. Well, it's not coming to St. John's. It goes to the Hunter's Geographical Regional uh, Food Bank in his or her, her area.
1: Right, so that's if you're in Gander, it'll concept. go to somewhere close by. If you're in Stephenville, it'll go somewhere close by.
0: Indeed, indeed. That's very important to realize. And as well, uh, for added incentives, we at the Harvest are going to, for every five, five pounds of meat that's donated to our program, we're going to write the hunter's name on a ticket, and that ticket at the end of the season will be drawn, and we haven't determined the prize. Most of it will be a hunting rifle.
1: Well, that won't go astray for a a lot of hunters. Um, Do they need to register ahead of time if you're planning on making a donation? I mean, obviously, a a food bank has to be prepared to take it. Do you have to register ahead of time?
0: Yes. Thank you, Linda. Uh, You can't register until you actually harvest it. And registration is very easy and simple. You go on the sharingharvestnl.ca website and just uh, five or ten minutes and you have it all done and... uh, See what needs to be done there, and all the information is is at your, uh, your fingertips.
1: Sharing the Harvest NL C-A. C-A. Um, Is every food bank uh, able to accept meat or fish right now?
0: So, yeah, yes, uh, and I also want to say, uh, Linda, thank you. Uh, special note to Food Banks, too. Uh, I was just talking with Food Banks a while ago, and they were under the impression that the, the uh, permit they had to receive this wall game, and they do need a permit, was good from last year, but that's not so. You have to apply for a permit each year in order to legally accept this uh, game meet.
1: Oh, so that's, that's important. an important uh, aspect so, yes. of things, yeah.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yes, that's very important. And you can get all that information on our, on our website, and the, uh, I'm pretty sure that most of the food banks are aware, are aware of our program now, and if they're not, then they can certainly go to our website. we got a Facebook page, we're on Twitter. And uh, you know there's all kinds of information there that you that you may need, and uh, uh, you know it, it's a very worthwhile program. And you know to the food banks, uh, I can't speak for the food banks, of course, but I do know through a little bit of research that I've done is that they do have lots of cans and box goods, we'll say. And maybe the word lots is too strong of a word. But what they don't have, what they lack is pro, food in protein. And this uh, moose meat, I'm telling you, is high, high, very high in protein. And not only that, but this program uh, institutes another factor that people don't think about or talk about. That is, because it's moose meat, it's a special thing. Because it's a special thing, it's going to take special preparation for cooking in it. And most likely it's going to be set, set down at the table with the family to eat it. And what does it promote? It promotes fa- family quality time spent together.
1: Another aspect that you don't often think about, hey, it's, it's very different from opening up a can, warming it up in a microwave and, you know, eating it sitting in front of the TV. It's a whole other thing to prepare a roast
0: absolutely absolutely it is and uh you know even though through, through sharing the harvest we prefer to get it uh, uh into minced meat because there's so many different ways to cook it anybody can get it cut into steaks roast whatever you want moose caribou and to answer your question uh, yes uh, codfish is on the menu i believe i was up talking to Bridget hope uh, person the other day and they said they they received 60 pounds of cod fillet over the summer
1: wow that's amazing
0: yeah, it is amazing. We just made a, our second donation in two years now to Food Bank, the Singaporean Association of Bridge Hope, of approximately uh, over five hundred Caitlin. and getting ready to do the blueberries now and. Uh I won't I won't be picking them this year, I mean, I won't be picking them last year and donating but this year we have financial, so we'll probably buy a few gallons and donate them again to uh, some food banks around St. John's area.
1: Right, because we always forget about the berries in this time of year, it's just, uh, uh, oh, it's such a wonderful time, to. and and I understand blueberries are a bit early this year.
0: I just came in from picking some.
1: Is that Right.
0: I'm out here in Banavista in area, my family home, for a few days.
1: Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So um, what does a food bank need to accommodate uh, meat or fish or even berries for that matter?
0: Yes, thank you. Through through my research that I conducted myself before the government took hold of it, uh, I there was uh, most, most food banks and there was another... Uh, Another research through the a newspaper that has gone uh, that has folded since uh, I can't remember the name, and do just the one chart to guess it. But uh, they said that the at the time Minister Byrne at the time. Uh, said that I uh, spoke on behalf of food bank. Said that they don't, they're not interested in it, and they don't have the freezer facility. And uh, the reporter actually uh, doubled back on the story and and uh, polled some of the food bank. Said yes, they do have the uh, they do have the uh, freezer capacity, and they are interested in it. But they, they where it was new, they wanted to find out more about. it, Of course, they didn't want to just jump jump right into it.
1: Is there a we're demand for meat. it? I I mean, you know, moose meat is not everybody's cup of tea, but no, uh it's not
0: everybody's cup of tea, you're right. And uh, according to uh according to Jody and uh, and uh I can't remember the lady's name down at the Single Parent Association, uh, when they announced that these this types of foods were coming in, people were lining up at the door waiting waiting for and asking when is this moose meat coming? When is the capon coming? When's the berries coming in? So because it's not it's an it's a different type of food, it's more sought after do you take seal yes uh no i'm not going to that'd be a question The uh, question for the food banks
1: right on um so uh, i was going to sorry uh, i was going to ask taylor about um whether or not she's donated to the to the food banks have you done so um taylor you you did it a different way
2: yeah i did do it a different way so i actually haven't donated directly to a food bank
1: right you you donated it to a group and they sold it or sold tickets yes. yep you got it right on um
2: so are you planning to go out this year have you got your license for this year I don't have a personal license for this year. However, I am um, I'm waiting to hear back whether I got a nonprofit license again this year or not. So, how does that work? Is it different than the um, than the regular license? Do you
1: do you apply different? Uh, you know, separately.
2: It is a different registration. However, once you actually get the license, basically everything is the exact same as if it was the personal license. Uh, so you won't find that out for a little while yet. Yeah, Barry might be able to answer the question on that a bit better than me because I'm not sure exactly when we're supposed to find out on that. So how does that work, Barry? Uh,
0: you have to be a registered not-for-profit group to apply for the uh, license. It's a special draw outside of the uh, the resident licenses, and it's, it's not extra licenses put aside. It's just into the total quota. Uh, the, the the draw happens in a separate lic a separate draw, it's later. As a matter of fact it should be happening very soon because the uh results and the tags should be out before bow season which starts another uh, week or so or week and a half. And the the group the registered not for profit group designates up to new rules this year four people that can go out and hunt hunt and harvest that, that moose on that licence. And- so once, he, once he the moose is harvested, then, you know, the, the hunters who are designated would uh, uh, field dress it, take it to the butcher, contact and the uh, not-for-profit group who would then look after the costs associated with butchering, tell them what they want done, and then, like say now, the, they, they could do what they want with the moose, the not-for-profit group, like have fundraisers, sell it for purposes, for more, uh, reinvestment, or have uh, charity dinner dinners
1: right and so what was uh, i think i asked you this off the top but what was preventing all of this from being done in the first place why couldn't we do this it, was it simply because uh people were afraid that people would get sick
0: Linda, uh, you asked me the question, I would be perfectly blunt and honest. It was the government's unwillingness to want to do it until they're forced into it by, by me, mostly. And then towards the end, uh, Debbie Weiser came up with Change.org, and then, then Minister Jerry Byrne uh, came on TV and said, that's a wonderful idea, it's a great thing, we'll incorporate other things into it. And, just, uh, and I'll be honest, not even a year before that he called the program a scheme. That, to me, I took it as an insult because the scheme is something underhanded. But anyway, so be it. I'm over it all. And, you know, it, the important thing is we got the program instituted, and now it's getting bigger and better each year. And to finally, we hope that, you know, we'll, have, we'll make a significant impact on the food security issue.
1: Right, because I think it was under Kathy Dunderdale that they discontinued uh, the donation of uh, roadkill, for instance. Uh, you know, uh, moose is killed on the highway, it's picked up immediately, it's butchered and 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 sent to churches or whatever for their moose dinners. And all of that came to an end all of a sudden, and those were big fundraisers for a lot of people.
0: Yes, that's correct. And I'm not exactly sure what had what happened, but not long after that, then, they implemented not-for-profit licenses or charity licenses.
1: Right, so that helps to fill process, that gap. And
0: there's 375 of those licenses in the uh, in the province, I believe.
1: So you can either donate your moose, as they say, to, um, to a... Um food bank, or you can donate it to a charity, and they'll do with it as they see fit. Uh,
0: no, no, uh, no. Oh, hold on. Let's, let's be clear first of all. If I have a personal license, it's up to me what I want to do with it. If I have a charity license, then I've had that charity license, and that's not an executive member of that uh, group. If I have a charity, I'm a designated hunter, the m- once I harvest the moose, the, uh, the game must go to the charity the charity group, and charity group then decides what to do. Uh, there's no... Ch- I'm. I'm I can't get a charity license as a private person. I can only hunt on behalf of charity for that license. And the, char- and the moose doesn't go to another, from one charity to another charity, or very seldom it does.
1: I got gotcha. you. All right. So, and good.
0: also though, the, the charity group, not group, could also, if they want to, donate to Sharing the Harvest as well.
1: My guests today on On Target our co-founding director of Sharing the Harvest, Barry Fordham, and Taylor Reed, a youth and charity designated hunter. We'll be back right after this.
0: Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we
1: discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. My guests today on On Target our co-founding director of Sharing the Harvest, Barry Fordham, and Taylor Reed, a youth and charity-designated hunter. And, uh, Barry, what kind of assurances do you need uh, that uh, the meat and fishes or whatever it is that you're donating is properly prepared?
0: Yes. Uh, So uh, in order for it to be accepted to the, brought to the food bank, the meat uh, has to go to an approved uh, butcher a government approved butcher like holidays or anybody has a meat shop that sells products, et cetera, et cetera. So by the uh by the by the butcher at the meat shop accepting the meat that means then uh, it's safe to eat. The same thing now, Linda, is that if I take my moose meat that I've that I've harvested out in the field, uh, I've field dressed it, I've cleaned it, and I bring it down the holidays, and I tell him I want this, that, and everything else caught up, and he gives it back, and he or she gives it back to me. There's no different. The, you know, it doesn't mean that the meat is going to be dirty or anything else. It's 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 still the same. There's not any special circumstances with the meat itself.
1: I'm one of those people who was raised um, to believe that uh, it's a mortal sin to waste food. What about meat that's sitting in your deep freeze right now that might become freezer burned after this season? And, and you've got your license, you're heading out to get more meat. Can that meat that's already in the deep freeze is still f- perfectly fine, can that be donated?
0: Uh, no, it has to be meat of the year. So there's only a certain window that you can come to, to our group. Now, for private individuals, what they want to do and what the food banks want to do, that will be up to themselves. And, uh, I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no, and I don't know, do I have the knowledge to say yes or no, what goes on with that.
1: So is it a good idea to get uh, that relationship going with your local food bank and the people who work there?
0: Absolutely. I think that the uh, the food bank should start putting out flyers and and making the hunting community Uh, aware of the program and that they are looking for donations for the food bank because again it's a knowledge thing people may not be aware of it and if they are aware of it then they may want to make more more contributions and talk about that leftover meat again and people say well there's, there's there's game meat and stuff being thrown in the garbage and unfortunately that is true Maybe not on a large scale, the people say, but this program, Sharon Harris, can look after that and say, "Listen, like, and that's the thing. I got moose meat. I like to cover it because it's it's such a special thing. But don't, you know, let's say I got I got a parrot on my deep freezer. He's been there ten years, but he's still there. But it's of no good. It's no good anymore. So it's a waste. So this is what Sharon Harris is about: is taking care of that possible waste. And uh, you know." I'm sure hunters looked in to defreeze the spring, getting ready to go for this fall, and there's moose meat still there. And unfortunately, it may be tossed. There's other ways to do it, though. You can you know, bottle it, can it, and everything else. There's so many different ways to do it. But unfortunately, sometimes it, it gets tossed in the garbage. And that's why, and it's a shame for sharing the harvest, because we can give that to uh, people who really need it. Uh, before I go ahead, Lynn, another thought came to mind. There's a change to the Migratory Bird Act this year. That's a duck hunting license, et cetera. And that is now they are allowing for the donation of uh, some game birds, like turds, I believe, to food banks. That's huge for this year. Now, word of caution, we have to be careful this year because of the avian flu bird disease, right?
1: Yeah, I was uh, going to ask about that. So uh, will food banks actually accept birds because of I, this <coughs> outbreak? Thought,
0: Linda, my thought will be they probably won't. And mm. the m- number, amount of birds that they get may be minimal anyway. But the, uh, the act has been changed, uh, amended so that it can't see those birds go to food banks if hunters choose. So, like I say, that's, a, that's a up in the air this year because of the avian flu.
1: Right. Uh, so uh, be mindful of that and, and, you know, ask the right questions, I suppose, if you happen to go out yes, to hunting. And
0: yeah. I, I, I don't see any food bank re- refusing any, any moose meat, uh, any private individual comes in to uh, give, out, give out to them. I'm not saying that they should, but I'm just saying that in practicality and, I mean, if I was in the food bank, I certainly would accept it to give it out to somebody.
1: Taylor, uh, I'll ask you this now. You're you're speaking to others of your age. Uh, what is it about hunting you enjoy and, and what would you recommend?
2: Uh, the thing I enjoy a lot about hunting definitely has to do with who I'm in doing it with, which is normally my father. However... Whenever we're in times of need or looking for an extra couple buddies to go with, my papa or my uncle is always uh, there if we need a hand. So I really enjoy that, and uh, I definitely think there need to be more youth involved in the hunting and trapping aspects of all of it, as well as more females, because like I had said previously, I'm just about the only female that I know who hunts at my age, and there's very few that are males. So I definitely think... We need more youth into it, and if we don't, then eventually we'll end up with no hunters because the youth won't be able to replace the elderly that have passed on.
1: And these really are skills that you can't learn in a classroom. You have to be there and have someone show you.
2: Oh, yeah. These are hands-on lessons that you can't learn by sitting down and looking at a book or reading a piece of paper. You need to experience this firsthand in order to really learn about it what's your favorite time of year my favorite time of the year is fall (laughs) (laughs) i bet you could have guessed that one already right
1: um but do you prefer you know early fall later fall a little bit of snow on the ground
2: i i do like the start of the fall that's when we get uh, when the runts is on the go however i do like the little bit of snow on the ground so i don't think i could choose between the two (laughs) Very good. Do you get out much in the winter? I do occasionally. However, this year it's going to be a bit different for me as I'm starting first year university. So I won't have spare time to spend being in the woods in the fall winter like I used to. But whenever I get an opportunity, I tell you, you'll know where to find me. You'll be
1: missing it this year.
2: Yes, most definitely.
1: Oh, that's too bad. But, um, you know, obviously for very, very good reasons. Um, how do you prefer to go about uh, on, on foot? Do you take the the truck in so far? Do you go on ATV?
2: How do you usually conduct the hunt? Normally it's ATV, ATV sorry, so far and then you hop off and you go foot the rest of the way.
1: So it's that being one with nature, too, I would imagine. Anything that you learned from these experiences with your dad that you'd never thought you would learn?
2: Uh, Don't run through the woods. (laughs) Dress warm because you're going to get cold. And when you start to sweat, take off some clothes because if not, you're going to get really cold. Uh, You need toilet paper when you go in the woods. That's, (laughs) That's a big one.
1: Those little things that you don't know till you're out there.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, some things that you would truly, truly, truly never imagine. Right on. Barry, does it do your heart good to hear that kind of enthusiasm
1: from a young person? Uh-huh.
0: Beyond good, Glenda, Beyond good. It's every every time I look at it on Facebook and I see a youth hunter, uh, whether they're successful in harvesting game uh, birds or fishing or whatever it is, it it gives me a warm feeling, and so much more so because of the with the hunting because of the. the, the the work that I put into getting the uh, trying to get the hunting age change, and I would say as well now uh, Linda that Taylor is one of our designated hunters for our charity licenses, and she hit the nail on the head. There is not that that many girls or females, I'm sorry, females hunters. However, I teach a course, I've been teaching for about 25 years now, and uh, I see a, a new trend uh, happening and that is with females coming in. Uh, to do the course they want to come in now doing the course they want to have their own license and they want to go hunting with other female hunters so it's not so much going off with the husband or the husband that drives them in anymore there's a new change and it's, it's a change that's happening all over North America and it's, it's starting to broadly increase here in Newfoundland and Labrador and I believe my own personal belief is that it's a good thing to see female hunters out in the country
1: and of course the province has that excellent program becoming a female was it an outdoors woman or how yes, I many yeah, outdoors, outdoors woman? Yeah, yeah, that's a great program, and I understand the registration is always really high on that.
0: And participants are usually a lot of re- repeat, uh, repeat uh, participants.
1: That's good to hear. Uh, Barry, final thoughts?
0: Uh, yes, to all the uh, big game hunters, hunters, food gatherers, foragers out there in, in our great province. Uh, you know we have we have all this food at our fingertips at our fingertips, but unfortunately there are people in this province who don't have the necessity, uh, transportation or resources to be able to get those product, those outdoor products. So if we could step up to the plate and start share, sharing a little bit more of our harvest, because historically we've always shared our harvest with family and friends. Now we can do it legally through the food banks to give somebody else a a, a, a nutritious meal. And our 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 co-director. Uh, Debbie Wiseman said that last year, approximately, not only through our program, but overall in the province, there were approximately 2,000 meals of moose donated to the food banks. That's humongous and large. We want to see that double or triple this year because we can do it. It's just now just trying to get the word out there. And plus now we have the financial ability to be able to pay for the processing because in the past it cost me so much money to go about moose hunting, so much money to get the uh, the process now you want us to give it to you to give to the food bank we we can pay for it now so it's a, that's a game changer And just trying to keep our name out there in the public and uh we're doing all kinds of good things for lots of people
1: sharing the harvest nl.ca is where you can get more information barry fordham taylor reed appreciate your time this afternoon thank you very much yes i appreciate it thanks for having me here and best of luck now hopefully you get your tags Yes, me as well.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you very very much for the opportunity, and great job, Taylor, as usual.
1: Oh, she was fabulous. Uh, Thank you very much. All right. And uh, we're going to go out with a little bit of uh, Buddy What's-His-Name and the other fellers, naturally, before we go to news. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the avian flu and some pretty serious things going on there. Thanks for listening.